Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. So this week we continue to wind towards the Thanksgiving holiday, and as we do, we want to continue to to focus on this theme of Thanksgiving and thanking God. This morning, we look in the book of Colossians at the idea that we are transformed because of his goodness. He is a good, good father. It's who he is, right? It's who he is. That is nature. He is good. He is holy. He is just. And he is good. And so we have this transformation in our lives. And and the transformation that we have is completely due to his goodness. It's a supernatural transformation. It's an unexplainable transformation that comes from a God who breathed this whole thing into existence. You ever think about that? Everything that we see before us, God breathed into existence. It came into existence simply because he spoke it. He just said it and it happened. And so given that that, that is, should be mind-blowing to you, it's, it, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. I know if I go to create something, it takes me blueprints and it takes me days and weeks and I mess up a lot of things along the way. But God just speaks it and it happens and it's perfect and it's in order the way this creation is. And, and so the thing is, if we know that God is a good God, and we know that he spoke everything into existence with the sound of his voice, then why in the world do we struggle so mightily to be thankful to a God that is so good? And I don't mean thankful like when you get a good report from the doctor and you're on the way home and you go, oh, thank you, Lord. Right? It's really easy to be thankful after you get a good report from the doctor on the way home, right? And we should be thankful for that, but that's when it's really easy. I'm talking about being thankful when the trip to the doctor ends up with admittance into the hospital. And you lay there in the bed, you don't know which way it's going, and you stay thankful to God and say, God, I don't know which way this goes, but I know that it goes your way. I'm not talking about when you're on the way home from the car lot after you bought that new car and you go, I'm thankful to have this new car. I'm talking about when month number five comes by and you stroke the check and you say something like, God, I'm thankful for the job that I have that I can continue to pay for this car that gets me to and from where I go. You see, we have a tendency to be thankful only when things are going good. We have a tendency to be thankful when it feels right and everything's comfortable. But when the wheels run off a little bit, our countenance sometimes seems to change. And so we go from this person of thanksgiving and this person of thankfulness to God to this person who's almost miserable in his countenance. And so as we head into this Thanksgiving holiday, let us look at God's word. And let's look at this idea that as blood-bought, spirit-filled believers, thanksgiving should be every single moment of our lives. I want to ask you if you're able to please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word from Colossians chapter 3 and picking up in verse 12. And the word of God says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, 
singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Father God, do as only you can this morning, and that is dwell among your people. Father, you bind any devil, any demon. Father, any spirit, any thought that is not held captive by your Holy Spirit, would you remove it at this time? That for the next few moments, we would be focused on your word and your word alone. Because God, we know that gives life. And so let us focus on your life-giving, life-changing word this morning. And Jesus, it is in your precious, saving, holy name that we pray, as all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. And so as Paul is writing here to the Colossians, and in the verses previous, he was dealing with how a Christian should act by speaking of the things that we should leave behind when we meet Jesus. So he begins to speak of these things that we should leave behind when we meet Jesus. He says you should leave the old man behind. He says you should kill your sin. You should put off your anger. You should put off your lies. And you should put off your deeds in how you behave toward one another. In verse 11, he says that once we are saved, we enter into a brotherhood, a brotherhood where there is no race, there is no ethnicity, there is no social class, there is no standing from our previous life, but a place where we stand with only Christ as our identity. There's no Democrat, there's no Republican, there's no liberal, there's no conservative, there's only Christ. There is no adulterer, there is no idolater, there is no preacher. There is merely Christ as identity. No black, no white, no red, no brown. You get the picture? Everyone stands in a brotherhood with Christ as their identity. And wouldn't this world be so much more peaceful if we could only grasp that truth that as Christians our identity is now in Christ, not in what the old man was, but in Christ and in Christ alone. And so we go through this and in verse 12 suddenly we have not so much dealing with what we put off, right? We don't put off our old identity. We don't put off our old man, not put off our sin, but we start to deal with what we put on, right? We start to deal with what we put on. And it starts with this big word, therefore, right there at the beginning of verse 12, therefore. Now, many of you that have been here have heard me say this before. It's not my phrase. It's one that's been coined by preachers forever. But when you see the word therefore, you got to ask yourself what it's there for, right? You know that it's a transitional statement. It's a linking statement that ties the first part of this letter to the remainder of this letter. And so really, he says, in light of putting these old things off, in light of putting off the old man, in light of joining into this brotherhood, therefore, as the elect of God, then you're going to put some things on. Right, you're going to put some things on. And so therefore, as believers, and he goes into the things that we do as a result of that. And the first things that he puts on is four things that he simply lumps together. And he says, put on these tender mercies. Put on these tender mercies. And then he lists them. Kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Kindness, being nice to people, but also encompassed in true kindness is caring for others' well-being also. Humility, putting away your pride and feelings that you are above someone else or more deserving than someone else or better than someone else. Meekness, not to be mistaken for weakness. See, that's a word that has kind of become negatively kind of related in our culture today as being timid or meek is a bad thing. But in Paul's times, it was more of a notion of being submissive to things that are out of your control, 
And so a believer would look at a sickness that came seemingly out of nowhere and say, I submit to you, God, in my meekness, right? I'm submitting to your will, God, and this is an act of obedience. In other words, Christian meekness is submissiveness to God instead of trying to control things yourself. And so put on meekness, and then put on patience or long-suffering. We have to come to the point where we don't put our timetable on the actions of God or on the actions of others. We have to accept that only God is going to change the things around us and change the people around us. And we are to be praying without ceasing, just like we talked about last week. Praying without ceasing for those individuals who are struggling, not putting our timetable on the work of God. If you think about God with me for just a second, he's not confined by time or or limits of space or the things that confine us in this nature of this world today. Because the word of God says that that just a second is just just like years for us is just seconds to God, right? Right for a moment is like a thousand years. So literally what seems like eternity for us to God is just a few moments. And so we have this concept of time and we say, I'm going to pray for something. And we begin to pray for it. And then we give up pretty quick, right? We go, I'm going to pray for it. And then a year later we go, well, God hadn't answered that prayer. I'm done. I'm just going to tap out on that one. I'm through with it. But the fact of the matter is, in God's timetable, it's only been just this long. And so he says, continue to pray for it. I got a glimpse of that early on in my life. Right? I remember early on in my life, the first thing that I remember praying for, the first thing that I remember praying for, and this is strange because I had a, I had a mom who had cancer when I was a kid. I don't remember praying for her cancer. I probably did. I'm sure my grandparents would pray for her, and I know my family would pray for her, and I'm sure that they had me pray for her, but I really don't remember that. I don't remember that. You know what I remember praying for as a kid? I remember praying, God, let my daddy quit smoking. That's the first prayer that I remember. And I prayed that prayer for years, it feels like. And then one day my daddy came in and he put a pack of cigarettes on the TV stand. He said, I ain't going to smoke no more. And I remember thinking, well, if you ain't going to smoke no more, why you got cigarettes? He said, if I can't beat them sitting on the TV stand, I sure ain't going to stop myself from driving to the store and buying them. He didn't smoke no more. He quit. He quit. I told you, my daddy's the toughest man I ever met, and he just quit looking at a pack of cigarettes. Now, I was just silly enough as a child that I said, God, you answered my prayers. I remember thinking that as a young man, right, that I had prayed. I had prayed for years. Every night before I went to bed, God, let my daddy quit smoking and let me have good dreams. Those are two things that were pretty important to me at the time. I didn't want to have nightmares. I wanted daddy to quit smoking. But I prayed for a long time. And so God taught me a lesson in that, though. Don't give up. Just keep praying. It doesn't mean because he doesn't answer immediately that he's not hearing your prayers. Put on your patience. Put on your long-suffering because things don't happen on your timetable. They happen on God's timetable. It is your responsibility to be faithful to God and trust in God. And be thankful while you wait for what God is doing. Church, we're in a season where we need to put on some patience. It seems like a long time ago that we got our resignation letter from our previous music minister. And along the way, we put a committee in place. 
And that committee has worked diligently and prayed diligently for one another and searched and searched and searched. And there are some things that are coming down the pike prayerfully that God continues to bring in. But so far, everything that's come down the pike hasn't been a good fit. And so the committee looks and they say, should we change what we're looking for? No, you prayed for what you were looking for. So keep looking for it. But you know what we should be so thankful for, church? We should be so thankful that in the last year we haven't skipped worship one time. We've continued to have worship. We've had Katie, praise God for Katie, stepping up here in these last few months and, and moving forward. She said, I'll serve as long as I need to serve. And a band that continues to show up and when one's out, somebody else shows up because I sure don't know how to play none of this stuff up here. Right, so we need to put on our patience. God, we know you're doing a work. We know you're doing a work. But we're going to be thankful for what you're doing in our place right now until we get there. Because God, you're doing a work with whoever you're bringing, but you're doing a work in us with what you got here now. And be thankful. That's faith. It is easy to pretend like everything's good when everything's good. It's hard to put on faith when you look around and things aren't exactly like you want them to be. So you got to ask yourself, how are you doing in terms of these four traits right now in your life? Putting on your kindness and your meekness and your humility and your long-suffering. Paul says this is how a believer ought to live. So if it's not how we're living, what do we need to do? Well, we need to take it a step further. He says put on these things. And he says we should display these things in our life but we should also act a certain way towards each other. Believers are going to assemble together. Remember, we spent months talking about this, that as believers we're going to assemble together. It's throughout Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. And so when we do, there are certain things that are just understood by Scripture that we're going to do with each other. One of those is we're going to bear with one another. We're going to bear with one another. What does that mean? Well, it means when one person in our community is hurting, we're all hurting. We all share in those same burdens. Too often, we look to our brother or sister in Christ. When everything's good, we want to embrace them and tell them how much we love them and we want to lift them up. But when we know things are not going so well for them, we want to kind of turn our back because that's when it gets hard to carry their burden, right? Now I have to pick up those pieces with you. I have to be here for you in that season. And so sometimes we want to look the other way. Sometimes we even get holier than thou and say something like, well, it's probably their own fault anyway. They're probably dealing with this because they did that. And sometimes they are. And I'm not saying we should enable someone out of the fellowship to, to live in a way they shouldn't live. You know better than that scripturally we should go to them, but we also don't put them aside and stop caring for them. We continue to walk through valleys with them. We bear with them. Look at the next with me, though. Forgive one another. It says, if anyone has complaint against you, forgive them as Christ forgave you. I hate when Paul puts those follow-up points on there, right? Forgive them. I got you. As Christ forgave you. Oh, man. Right? It's like when he's talking to men in Ephesians, he says, men, love your wives. You're like, oh, I got that. And he says, as Christ loved the church. Oh, man. I got to lay down my life for her. I got to put myself aside that she might have breath herself. 
I don't know about that, God. Right? So forgive as Christ forgave you. So what does it mean? Well, how does Christ forgive you? He complete, gives you, forgives you completely. If you are a Christian, then your sins have been forgiven, and they have been forgiven completely. Scripture says as far as the east is from the west, it's where your sins are cast. Thank you, sir. If you feel like someone has wronged you or complained against you, or you have a complaint against another, your responsibility, if you are a believer, is to cast that wrongdoing into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. This means before we even get to that, that part in Scripture that says if you have aught with your brother, you should go to them. The first step of reconciliation is before you go to them, you should forgive them. You should already have a forgiving heart before you get there. That's the first step. That's your responsibility. It's not like Christ waited until you asked him to go to the cross and die for your sins. He went to the cross on your behalf for all of us, before we were even born, he knew us, and he went to the cross for us. You don't wait until you get it off your chest. Let me say that again. You don't wait until you get it off your chest. You don't wait until they ask you to forgive them or say that they're sorry. You are to forgive them anyway. But Brother Jason, he talked bad about me. Okay. He's rude to me every time I come in here. Okay. He smells funny. I hadn't heard that one yet, but it could be there. If you're a believer, your first step is to forgive them. But they hurt me so bad. I know. Forgive them anyway. I wanted to teach that class that they're teaching. Good. Forgive them and pray as they teach that class. If you're in conflict with someone why don't you just do what God's word says forgive them and see what happens 99% of the time conflict at church doesn't come from what someone did or didn't do it comes from the place that a believer cannot forgive another believer come to a place where we just refuse to forgive another believer and we begin to think that that person had the worst intentions for us when at the end of the day if we just sit down and have a conversation we'd probably find most of the time it's a misunderstanding. Most of the time believers ain't out to get other believers. Most of the time it just something happens. So what stops us from forgiving immediately? Well, most of the time we want to get our point across. I'll forgive him but I'm going to make sure he knows how mad I am first. I'll let it go, but I'm going to make sure everybody out here knows that I ain't happy about it first. I want to make sure everybody knows what he did to do me wrong. I want to make sure everybody knows what he did to pull me down. I want to make sure everybody knows my side of the story. And there is nowhere in Scripture that says that's what's supposed to happen for a believer. You know who behaves like that? Three-year-old children. Apparently teenage children too, now that I have some of those. But children behave like that. And it's okay when children behave like that because they're children. But when full-grown believing adults act like that, it's not okay because it's disobedient to what Scripture says. Scripture says forgive. So what are you called to do? Forgive. 
There is no parameter, there is no ramification that supersedes that command. Forgive as Christ forgave you. How can that be done, Brother Jason? That's hard. You're right. In fact, it's impossible. He goes on in verse 14 to tell you how you do it. He says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. How can you forgive someone that doesn't deserve forgiveness? How can you put on kindness, meekness, humility, and long-suffering with someone? How can you bear one another's burdens in that way? Not of your own accord, but only through the bond of perfection that is love. Love is what can do it. Love is Jesus who laid down his life for undeserving, not appreciating sinful people just like us. Love is putting others before yourself. Love is perfect. But love is only through Jesus. After the parable of the Great Samaritan, we get two commands. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is only possible through Christ. We cannot love others until we love God first. We cannot love others until we love God first. And so to love others, it goes hand in hand with loving God. Excuse me. So we saw some things that we put on. Now, let's take a look at moments, some things that we will put in our life as we carry on. Let the peace of God rule your hearts and be thankful. The peace of God to which we were called into one body. What is that body? That's the church. That's the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ should be ruled by the peace of God in our hearts. Too often, we rule the bride of Christ with man's intelligence or with our own agendas. But here we see the church is to be ruled by the peace of God in our hearts. Quite simply, if you are disruptive to the church with your actions or with your words or with your presence, then you are not acting like a Christian will act. I'm not saying you won't ever have a bad day. I'm not saying you can't come to church on the end of a bad day and do something that's disruptive one time. I'm saying if you have a generally negative energy or a generally negative attitude every time you come in the door and every time something's done at the church, you bring it down and you complain about it and you stand against it and you fuss and you complain and you're dismissive and you're unapproachable and you're generally unhappy then you need to back up to the verses before and forgive somebody because you're holding on to something that's holding you back and then be ruled by the peace of God in your heart. Church conflict would become non-existence if we would learn to forgive one another and let the peace of God rule in our hearts. But it goes a little further. How can we put this in practice? To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing with one another in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. These are not a popular couple of verses. But they're here, so I'm going to preach them anyway. How is it that I can bear with one another's burdens? How is it that I can lift one another up? How is it that we can put on love to one another? How is it that we can forgive one another as Christ forgave us? One of the things that we are to do in practice is to let the word of Christ dwell in us in all wisdom and we're to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You don't like it, that's okay. God said it, not me. One of the ways that we can practice doing all of these things that the church is commanded to do 
It's to sing together. Let me say that again. Singing together with grace in our hearts. And I know that some of you are not going to like what I got to say, but I got to say it anyway. Notice that list that he gives. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. For all of you out there that say, I hate those contemporary songs. Well, I'm sorry. That's the spiritual songs that he lists right here. And likewise, for all of you contemporary song, Chris Tomlin loving folk out there that say, I can't stand all them old hymns. They're so boring. Well, I'm sorry, but Paul says we should use those too. And all of you out there who say, I can get on board with some of these new songs, but I hate them old chants where they just repeat the same thing over and over again. Well, doggone it. He said we ought to do the psalms too. And I don't know how many psalms you read, but quite often they're very repetitive. They became the chants of the early church. This gives me a lot of hope here that Paul also had people that didn't care for music that wasn't their favorite music and would complain about it. I don't like the new music. I don't like the old music. I don't like that. I don't care. What do you mean you don't care? That's kind of harsh. No, it's not. It's kind of scriptural. Who's the song about? That's it. If it's about Jesus... If it's about Jesus, I don't care when it was written. I don't care what key it's in. If it's about Jesus, sing it with grace in your hearts to the Lord because that's what believers do. And can I tell you, I understand. I promise I understand. You might not know all the words. And even though they're on the screen, maybe you can't see them. Maybe you can't get the melody. Maybe you can't catch up. That's okay. I'm not saying you're going to sing it to perfection and hit every word, but what I am telling you is that singing with grace in your heart doesn't look like you ate three lemons before you came in here. If you can stand and look like you ate a sour lemon right before you walked in the door through the whole song service, you are not singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. But brother, I don't sing at all. That's okay. I didn't sing this morning either because I was trying to save my voice, but I worshiped. I worshiped. Sometimes I just close my eyes and hear it. I hear you guys singing, and that's worship for me. I used to carry my children to school in Mount Juliet for a while. They weren't golden bears. They were at Mount Juliet Christian. I want to clarify that. And on the way, they would argue about what songs we were going to listen to. One wanted to listen to Zach Williams and one wanted to listen to Journey and one wanted to listen to, at that time, the Ghostbusters theme song was big for her. And I mean, they'd get in fights about whose turn was first and whose song was next and what they was going to do. I mean, they'd get in full-blown arguments about the music until finally I'd turn it off and say, we ain't listening to nothing. But I expect them to behave like that. Why? They're children. They want what they want, and they're not going to be happy with anything else, and they're going to put their foot down. But I can tell you that as believers, this is another area. It's not okay to act that way. Glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved is not a good attitude to have for the believer. 
I want to be clear. I'm not saying you cannot prefer one type of music to another. I get it. I like what I like too. There are songs that in the last seven, eight years of my being here, I can promise you both old and new, there are songs that we have sung that I didn't know. There are songs that we have sung that I didn't like. There are songs that we have sung that I wouldn't put in my playlist to, to listen to on the way to Florida. But can I tell you that if they were about Jesus, they were songs that I learned to worship corporately with my fellow believers. Why? Because it's what Scripture commands us to do. I don't have to know the melody perfectly to sing in my heart. Many of you would prefer that I do sing in my heart instead of singing in my voice. <coughs> you ain't always on key either. <laughs> Finally, this morning we come to our focus. Whatever you do, whatever you say, do it in the name of Jesus. Give thanks to God through Jesus. This means exactly what it says. Thanksgiving is not a holiday in November. It is a reflection of character for a person who is saved. Let me say that again. Thanksgiving is a reflection of the character of a person who is saved. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Whatever we do is not to lift ourselves up or to accomplish something for ourselves. Everything we do is to honor and glorify Jesus. You know, sometimes we try to separate our our church life and our not church life. When I set up tables for the fellowship hall or, or when I sing at church or when I teach the class at church, I do it to glorify God. But when I go to work, my focus becomes how do I make money? Well, the word of God says whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. I'm not saying you can't, you don't make money at work. If you don't make money at work, you don't provide for your family. But as you make that money, you should be glorifying God in every single thing that you're doing. Jesus should be the focus of what you do. See, how do you know that? Well, look at Paul. Paul wouldn't have understood the mentality that after he got saved, he went and made tents through the week and he preached on the weekend. And they were separate. No, when he went to make his tents, he still continued to preach the word of God. Everything that he was doing was going to build his kingdom. I know that because as he was making tents, he, he was building disciples beside him. Churches were planted while Paul was making tents. Do everything you do to the glory of God and be thankful. We have so much to be thankful for. And I'm not even speaking of anything on this earth. I'm talking about the fact that as believers we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Regardless of whether you're sick or healthy or rich, or poor, if you're in a season of plenty, or you're in a season of want. We have so much to be thankful for, because if you're a child of God, you have salvation. So do everything you do for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship. Father, it's so easy, so easy when things are going great to praise you. But Father, when the storm comes,
Sometimes we have a hard time lifting our eyes to the hills and recognizing where our help comes from. So God, help us as believers to be so in tune with your word that we recognize that everything you work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so God, as we face seasons of sickness, as we face seasons of doubt, as we face seasons of of want in our lives, help us to face it with a faith that God, you are sovereign and you are in control and help our acts of thanksgiving to be an example to someone else that this is how believers live because we have an imperishable seed that is Christ Jesus. And Father, it'd be my prayer if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, someone who says, what what is this guy even talking about? Being thankful for salvation, being thankful for eternal life, being thankful for forgiveness of sins. Father, would you show them this morning that through your grace and your mercy, that they too can have that hope and that peace. And Jesus, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.